It was November of 2008. I had been married six months. My husband walked in the door and in a look of defeat said, I was let go today. Our world was in the middle of a recession, but we were still shocked. The next few months were hard. I mean, really hard. Not financially, but mentally and emotionally. We ended up moving to Florida, and that too was hard. I thought I would live in Kentucky forever. It took three years before I could say that hard season was good. Three years. What is your hard season? Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's a life-altering injury. Maybe it's a rebellious child who's become a rebellious adult. Maybe it's infertility. Do you believe there can be good and hard? Do you believe you can show up for your life when you want to shut down? Do you believe you can cheer on someone who gets what you want? Well, today I talk to author, speaker, and ministry leader, Lisa Whittle, about her newest book, The Hard Good, and her journey of choosing to show up in grief versus shut down. After you listen to our conversation, visit graceenoughpodcast.com slash hardgood to purchase your copy of Lisa's book and the accompanying Bible study. Purchasing from the links on my website helps me to continue creating the show. I receive a small portion of the charge at no cost to you. That goes for any resources linked at graceenoughpodcast.com. Let's begin this week's conversation with Lisa Whittle. Good morning, Lisa, and welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. Oh, hi. Good morning. I'm so excited for you to be here today. I love to get started. For anyone listening who may not know Lisa Whittle and your work, will you just tell everybody a little bit bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis and a little about your family? What I do on a day-to-day basis depends on the day, Uh, (laughs) right? Uh, You have a lot of ministry things that you do. Yeah, you know firsthand, Amber. (laughs) Um, I, uh, gosh. Well, I've been married, it'll be 26 years in September, end of September, and uh, three kids, one just got married, two in college. So um, I still mother hard is what, how yeah. I would describe it, but it's a different season of life for me. So I'm in a consulting role. I'm in a, um, still in the admin role, like moms know, we, I'm still doing all that. And just this morning, I'm texting my daughter who's in college, a thousand miles away from home, and we're, I'm with her about what she should take for her illness that she has. So, you know, you just never stop doing that. I've been writing for, gosh, a, a long while. Uh, my first book came out in, I think, 2004 or six. I cannot remember. So it's kind of like when you get older in birthdays, you don't, you don't really remember exactly anymore. It's that kind of thing. Just a, just a long traveled road, really. And um, serving Jesus and knowing Jesus for a long time. 
Well, and something that I love that I think some people aren't quite as familiar with that you do is with Ministry Strong. Uh, Tell everybody really quickly a little bit about Ministry Strong, because I think it's such a vital ministry that uh, a lot of people need to know about. Ministry Strong is something um, that's really, really uh, important to me. It's a, it is kind of exactly how it sounds. It's a ministry to leaders in ministry. And so it's a sort of a, um, uh, a mentoring role, but also just a walking alongside role, knowing the, the, the deep needs of ministry folks, having been born into a minister's family myself, and in some capacity, having served in ministry my entire life in some role. Uh, so, you know, we, we provide resources and we provide um, uh, in-person events, which we will resume again once we get everyone healthy in this world. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, a lot of various things like that. Your newest book, The Hard Good, comes so much from a place of learning to grieve and showing up for that grief versus shutting down. To set the stage for us a little bit, I know the message is very personal to you because it relates to you and losing your father. So what was it like growing up as a pastor's kid in a Christian family? Like, how did you come to know Jesus? Tell us a little bit of that. Well, I I loved my sort of weird life. You know, I think when you're a, when you're a pastor's kid, you understand what that means. Really. It, it is a, a unique role. It's a unique situation. You're keenly aware that people know your father, know your family. Um, so you get that. And it's, it's difficult in some ways. It is a, it is a hard role to, to be born into. And, and I think, um, you know, pastors' kids get a get have this reputation. We get this bad rap. You know, it's like, of course, they're a pastor's kid. But I think what people don't understand is the complications that come with with that role. A lot of times, inform those decisions that we make as pastors' kids mm. because we we basically have to form an identity uh, with the Lord outside of a lot of things that are confusing. And so I loved my life, but I also was confused like most pastor's kids are by some things. In other words, you know, my father being my father, but also being my pastor um, and also being someone from the stage, but being someone at home, uh, no one can be on all the time. So it led to a lot of things. And what exacerbated all of that was my father also had a very public ministry fall. So for me, that was another layer of confusing on top of it, because um, there was pain attached to not only the church, but also someone who was my spiritual leader. And so Mm -hmm. that was really tough. Mm. Your grief process and this book and the temptation to shut down became really, really personal to you when you actually saw another man wearing your dad's cowboy hat. And I love that portion of the book because you are just so real and vulnerable about having to choose. What am I going to do here? And so tell everybody a little bit about that and then actively choosing to show up instead of shut down. That's a really poignant part of the book for me. That was uh, a very personal, obviously a very personal story to share. 
Um, and it's touched a lot of people. So I'm glad you brought it up. It's at the beginning of chapter three and actually sort of the conclusion is at the very end. That in particular was something that was a real classic example of me in my life of when maybe historically I would have shut down. Uh, in the past, I would have in that moment become maybe a shell of myself. I would have in that moment, uh, you know, if it was the Lisa that was not controlled by the Holy Spirit, the Lisa that just acted in the way that I can be, I can tend to act sometimes, um, especially in my younger years in my past, I would have probably, well, best case scenario, I would have just for the day not engaged. And this was a day, I describe it in the book, this is a day that I was we were going to enjoy going to the lake. And this was um, the man that became my bonus dad, that my dad, that my mom was, um, had started dating after my father died. This was my beloved father who I've been extraordinarily close to my whole life. He'd been my father over 40 years. And, you know, three months later, uh, my mom is dating someone and I endorsed that. I, I was good with, with it in cognitively. I knew that, you know, at 70, five years old or, you know, seven, however old she was at the time, I knew that, that this is very natural for older people to gravitate and not even date for a very long period of time. Cause why do you, why do you want to date a long period? (laughs) So we had some history with this man, um, not very close history, but he had been a friend of my father's. So there was some safety there. There was some comfortability for a lot of God things in it. However, you can cognitive, cognitively know those things, but when you see your, your, this man walk out of the house wearing your dad's cowboy hat, there's something that happens inside you. And so the Lisa, best case scenario, Lisa, in that moment, uh, in the past with my emotions would have just not engaged, would have perhaps just been very quiet all day. Um, worst case scenario, Lisa, that I, I have done it at times, Amber, in my past, I'm ashamed to say would have lashed out and would have oh, said for sure that would be amber yeah would have said that cowboy hat does not belong on your head that was my father's cowboy hat are you clueless like what would possess mm. you to wear something like that and so i knew that neither one of those things at my age being mm. more grown and also at this point you know walking with the lord this long and also to jeopardize a relationship, but I had a sense was going to maybe go somewhere in the future. I knew that 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 was not something that I could allow myself to do. And so the Lord in his goodness allowed me to show up. It still is a miracle to me how this happened because I I just paused and in my own spirit, I prayed and I didn't have much time, but I just prayed God help me. And that night after a full day, and there's much more about it in the book, I I did cry myself to sleep, but I deferred that emotion. And I realized that I have the power through God to be able to do that. And it, and it gave me a new kind of confidence that my emotions don't have to overrun me. Mm -hmm. Well, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but one of the things that I, you know, really love that you said, I mean, when you're going through a process like that during the day, I'm assuming that you had to choose multiple times throughout the day to refrain from falling prey to your emotions. Is that true? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I can remember 
various times that day on the boat, having to breathe, having to close my eyes and think of something good. I mean, this, this might sound like a silly practice, but, you know, I, I talk again in chapter three about listening to your body, mm-hmm. the importance of that and how God has created us with these facets, including, you know, body, mind, and spirit. And um, it's, it's a powerful tool if we bring everything under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so I realized the power of tapping into that and um, just those simple practices of breathing and and looking out and going, this is God's creation and God has created me and he can help me do this. I normally, I I don't know in all of my 40 something years, if I've realized that I don't have to be how I've always been. And um, I, I don't know, that was really important for me, Amber, many, many times during the day, I had to recall those things and they were important. That's why it's in the book. Yeah, absolutely. I totally get it. Well, and that's the thing. Let's talk a little bit about the idolatry of feelings. You write about that as well. And we all know, like, well, I don't want to say we all know, because I've heard time and time again, people try to suppress emotions. And I'm constantly saying, you know, your emotions are not a bad thing. But it's like they too often become the boss of us. And that's something that you talk about. So how can we really use them more as a gauge, as what you were just talking about, as a tool to listen to what they're telling us, instead of them ruling over us, being the boss of us? Well, that that's the important distinction, um, because... Uh, there's, it seems like, of course, we as people tend to be very polarized. It's like we, we want to pick one or the other. We want to say, well, I'm either going to, um, I'm either going to let emotions decide everything for me, or I'm going to live as a robot in a non-emotional world. Well, neither one of those things is good. You're not able to live with the understanding that your emotions are great and they're powerful and God gave them to us, but they have to be under his leadership and control or else they will go wrong. Then you will, they will become godlike in your life. They will become an idol in your life. You will make decisions based on emotions and that is dangerous. And so Um, that's one of the reasons I spend a lot of time on that in the book, because, and and in particular in chapter three, but really that is sort of the underlying theme of the entire book is if you are tired of making emotionally driven decisions that you later regret, there's an alternative. Mm. So then when you're talking about emotions like that, I think it's so important to point out here that you got to step back and like you talked about on the boat, taking that deep breath, even if it's a couple seconds and just asking God to speak, like, let you know. So when you say uh, really governed by the Holy spirit, really under his authority, how would you describe that? Like, how do you know that you're listening to the Lord and not your emotions? Well, you're going to know in the way you react. I mean, you're going to know in the way that you are able to do things that you can't typically do. The, the biggest sign to me is when I am not, I've lived with Lisa for a very long time. And when I'm not acting like Lisa would normally act or like Lisa wants to act in that mm-hmm. moment, then I know, oh, <laughs> wow. The Holy Spirit is, is working. Mm. He's working. 
Yeah. The, the thing about that, Amber, is when, when you see him do that stuff, it buoys your belief that he can do it again and he can do mm-hmm. something else. Mm-hmm. So this is why we have to allow him to do it the first time. The first time will feel very awkward. The first time of anything feels awkward. The, the first time you allow him uh, and give him a chance at running your emotions, you're going to feel completely out of sorts and like it probably won't work. And you're going to feel like you're walking to your own death because you're so used to operating in your own self. So true. But the minute that you you watch him supernaturally nap- keep your mouth shut, you'll think, Wow. Or for the other personality that isn't like mine, that struggles to open their mouth in a situation. Mm-hmm. The moment that you, that you, you open your mouth and say something and you know that that typically wouldn't be you and it's wise and it's controlled and it's powerful and it moves someone and it, and it inspires. Then you go, Oh, it worked. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> you know, these, these are the clues that, that it's working. And I, I will say this, there's a reason why I wrote the book Jesus over everything before I wrote the book hard, the hard good. And the reason why is because you don't just get into a situation and, you know, send up an SOS and say, Oh God, you know, rescue me all of a sudden. I know I've ignored you for four years and, and, and listen, God's not up there pouting. It's not, that's not what I mean. Right. What I mean is there's a relationship that's been happening between the two of you to where, you know, maybe you, maybe you skipped your quiet time for a week. I'm not talking about that. God is so not about, about rules like that, but I'm saying you, there's a history with the Lord. There's a relationship with the Lord. So that when you get in these situations, you you call upon the one that you are in community with Mm -hmm. and, and he is quick to save. Yes. Well, and I think about Paul David Tripp, something that he has written is he calls it, you know, do we want Prozac Jesus? Like what type of Messiah do we actually want? And I think you have to become acutely aware of that in order to really even engage in an authentic relationship with him, because sometimes we don't even really know what we want Jesus for. That's very, very true. And, you know, I would dare say this, you know, the Lord is so gracious for us, what we, what we need and what we ask. But I would say you are selling yourself way short. If you want just the, the rescue Jesus, um, Mm. because there is just this, this ongoing beauty of, of a relationship where you and Jesus travel together long and he knows you so well, and you know him so well that in that moment, there's so many unspoken things that happen, but he helps. Yes. Um, I mean, you don't, you don't need to offer a prayer. It's not like, well, God knows what I need. I'm just not going to ever need to pray again. It's not that it's just that your spirit communes with the Lord. I mean, I will tell you this, Amber, I'm, you know, I, as I've gotten older, I do a lot less talking in my prayers, a lot more just sitting and, and, and listening to the Lord and being with the Lord because, you know, and I think that's, that is a picture of growing old with a partner in marriage as well, yes. you know? husband and I used to look at people that went to dinner together and I used to think how did they not just have something to talk about they must be so grown apart and what I've realized is actually people that are so comfortable together mm-hmm. and people they, they almost don't need words it's and so true 
So that's the beauty of the Lord. Are you a podcast fan? Do you enjoy listening to compelling stories? Well, I want to share one of my very favorite shows with you. It's called Compelled, and it is a show full of powerful Christian testimonies. This week, their guests are Fred and Casey Weymouth. Fred was once a successful insurance salesman, but became a homeless drug addict, completely in bondage to heroin and other drugs. Casey was a hopeless alcoholic, and no matter how many recovery programs she went to, she always landed back at the bottom of a bottle. Both of them were desperately looking for their next fix, but never found a lasting fix until they fixed their eyes upon Jesus. You can listen to Fred and Casey's powerful story and many more like it by searching for Compelled on your favorite podcast app or by visiting compelledpodcast.com. Now back to my conversation with Lisa Whittle. Let's transition a little bit. You also write a lot about purpose and usability in the hard good. It's a portion that I love because it's a bit of a, a hot button for me when people are constantly saying, well, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my pers- purpose is. Like, what do you just go ahead and tell us what is our purpose as Christians? Our purpose as Christians is very clear. It's in Matthew. Um, it, it is in Matthew 28. It is the same for every believer. It is and I love the fact that that is the same for everyone so that no one feels like they're more special. That's right. And we know that there's no favoritism with God. That's scriptural. And it is to go and make disciples. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is very clear. That is the purpose for every believer. So if you have wondered your whole life, what is my purpose? That is your purpose to go and make disciples. Now, what I know what when people are saying, what is my purpose? And I, I get it. What, what we're really asking is this. What do I do with my daily life? Mm-hmm. What do I do every day? But that is not actually a purpose question. So what I want everyone to do is take off the take off the table what your purpose is, because actually that will help inform what you do every single day. Mm-hmm. If you know that the Lord has called you to make disciples, then what you have to figure out is with my gifting and with my particular circumstance, what does that look like? And before you go global, go very, very near and close because a lot of us start way out and then try to work our way in. And we need to start in and work our way out because listen, just like anything that happened in the Lord with the Lord, just like anything um, in history, great movements of God, revivals, they always started inward and worked out. They didn't go to the stadiums first. They came, they were in the heart and they, then they spilled out into stadiums. And it's the same thing with purpose. It's, it's, you live your purpose and it comes out in your pores, in your home, in your neighborhoods, in your cities, on your block, in your cities. And then it might go to the nations, but it doesn't go to the nations first. Like, and so that's where people get it twisted. Um, usability is something different. And what I would suggest is this, the way that you're, you are formed into the most usable for the kingdom of God. So where your purpose collides with this is 
as the hard things happen in your life, they shape you. If you allow them, if you allow God to shape them in you. Now you haven't, you don't have to allow God to do that. You can run away. What I'm asking you to do in this book is not to run away because you are so full of gifts that if you would allow these hard things to shape you and refine you, God could use you so powerfully but if you're like me and like most people, what happens is when the hard things come, we push them away because they are just too uncomfortable for us. And thus we never then truly know what God could do with our life. Mm. What I want for the readers is to be inspired to go, what more could God do with me? Mm. What more could he do if I would sit in this. And if I would not push this away and listen, Amber, that's a word for me. I write this book because I need this book and I continue to need this book. So often any of us talk about when you're saying, I'm not saying this because I've got it all figured out or that I don't need to every day make a choice to show up instead of shutting down or to be used by God. Um, I'm saying it because I've, the struggle is mine too. Right. I mean, it's, it's very personal. And I think that's why this is resonating with people so, so much. It's very personal. It continues to be personal. Someone asked me yesterday, they said, they asked me something about reading the book. If I was going to read my own book, this is one book that I haven't read a lot. You know, by the time you finish all your editing process, and this one has been edited to death, you don't really want to read your books anymore. You're like, oh, oh, I can't, I can't read it one because you don't have a, a clear perspective yes. on it. You, so much like the sentences run together, words run together. But interestingly enough, I didn't read this book very much because I kind of had this sense that I might need it down the line. Mm. And um, I'm glad I didn't because I do find myself drawn to read the pages. I'm not, I don't know, just for anyone who might think that this author wrote this book to just sort of then, you know, wipe her hands clean and go, wow, I've got this neat bow on my life. So good luck with all y'all's hard lives out there. Mine's really good. I mean, every day I wake up with the same sort of sense of like, what hard things going to be happening today in my life? You know, it, it's the same thing for me. So I need the reminder of like, God is good and he'll be good no matter what. And also I live with the idea that I don't know what's going to happen in five years. Maybe this book is going to inform something even harder for me. And that scares me, Amber. It really does. Like it, it, it makes me not really be that excited about it, but I also, right. <laughs> I also know that hard things happen in life and they are inevitable. And I, um, I can't run away from that anymore. And that, that is honestly the reason why I finally had to say, I have to talk about this, even if it makes me uncomfortable, even if it makes me feel like somehow by talking about it, I'm admitting that it's hard. Yeah, I'm admitting it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I think that in and of itself is, is maybe some kind of important thing for me. Something I love that you did with your own counselor um, was you just spouted off some of the titles of your chapters and had him just respond with maybe a piece of advice, a word of encouragement, or just immediate thoughts. And so I want to do that with you because I feel like it gives people a little bit of a taste of what you've written 
but also just to hear what's on your mind when you think back through what you wrote. So I'm going to say it. You tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. I won't be as good as my counselor, but I'll try. I don't know about that. I don't know (laughs) about that. (laughs) Um, Accepting something you wish or something different. It's crucial and preference and acceptance are two different things. So you have to, you have to keep them separate. Mm. Say that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Cheering for someone when they get what you want. It will change your life. It will, it will break the chains of jealousy. Mm -hmm. And it, it is the only thing I've found to break the chains of jealousy is wild and, uh, chosen generosity Mm -hmm. showing up when you want to shut down. It's possible, but it's only possible through the help of God and showing up is not, does not come with bells and whistles, at least not for me. It will be imperfect progress. It will be a commitment to presence. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, something too, like showing up, we also don't mean, you know, showing up in a situation where something horrible is happening to you, but you still want to show up for your life and not crawl in bed and ignore what's going on around you. Absolutely not. And and I do talk about that in the book. And I will Mm -hmm. say that, you know, I am going with the understanding since I'm not a counselor, I'm going with the understanding that, you know, the importance of boundaries that, you know, that you understand that abuse is an, is an absolute no under every circumstance. So I'm not, I would never advocate for showing up in a circumstance that would be detrimental and unhealthy for you. And that's between you and the Holy spirit. And if in, in many cases, you uh, talking over with a counselor. Yeah. All right. Opening up your heart again, when it's been hurt. That's a hard one. Um, but again, it's not impossible. I would say that God is the one you need to trust to hold your heart when you don't trust anyone else to hold it. And when they've mishandled it, you can trust God to hold it. Mm. Yeah. You know, that makes me think so much too about choices. It's just sometimes that is a moment by moment choice when you're still in a situation where that, where someone may continually hurt you. Yeah. So you got to choose. All right. Last one. Welcoming change. That's a really tender one for me. That whole chapter really tender for me. Um, I would say that the most important thing I've learned about change is that if you do not welcome it in, you will be overcome by, by the sadness of it. Absolutely. I think that that's powerful because welcoming change is different from tolerating change. Mm. And, um, I will tell you that nobody likes change on the surface, but there is real power in welcoming change. Mm. Oh my goodness. I just want to have a whole nother conversation about that. (laughs) I know it's a (laughs) conversation. I know. And of course I'll get to hear some. And if you become a part of ministry strong, you can too, because she's talking about that. Um, okay. So as we close out, Lisa, I want people to know that this is not just a book. You have also written a Bible study that accompanies it. And so if someone wanted to read this book 
get the accompanying Bible study. Tell us a little bit about that and kind of what you dive into in the study and how they kind of go hand in hand. I'm so glad you asked about the study. It's really important to me. The study is so, so it's really meaty. I brought in some, some great theological minds for this to help beef up even um, what I had studied, which I love some other, some women. It is really a look at King Saul uh, predominantly, but also King David and a couple of other Kings, um, uh, Hezekiah, Josiah. There are some real interesting things there. And what it is, is looking at what happens in, when, a, when a person will do the hard good and when one is not willing to do the hard good. And it, it shows us a real picture of our own life so that it sort of crystallizes everything I talk about in the book in the study. And uh, the two just go so sweetly hand in hand. I'm just so fond of the Bible study. And it's, it's only six weeks. It's, a, 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 it's own workbook with streaming videos. And um, gosh, it's just a really good uh, six weeks is doable for most people to do with your friends. And I think would really help solidify what, what they've learned in the book. Well, and I want to say, ask you a question as well. Um, while I think you should get the book and read it along with the study, yeah. can the study be done if someone doesn't read the book? Sure. I mean, it can absolutely can. I would say for, for people, if, if they want to do it that way, they absolutely can. And um, no problem. Um, what I would tell people is, I think you'll get more out of it if right. you book simply because there are things I refer to in each that would make more sense, obviously. And I go into some of the things I talk about in the study more in depth in the book and vice versa. So mm -hmm. a book like The Hard Good is, um, it definitely has some some Bible in it. I mean, it's all based on on the the book was it was based on my own study from first samuel 9 i yeah. mean it, from the book but uh, it is a book it is not a bible study and so the bible study is the biblical arc of that and so they really are sort of two different things talking about the same thing, same thing. so fascinating yeah yeah well lisa um i just want you to know i'm grateful for the way that you show up and that you pour into people behind you, ahead of you, beside you. Um, I know that I have been able to personally benefit from that. And I just want to say that I'm thankful for you. Well, thanks, Amber. This has been a joy. Are you ready to show up? Are you ready to be used by God? Are you ready to stop allowing your emotions to rule you? If you answered yes to any of those questions, and you enjoyed today's conversation, go purchase The Hard Good at graceenoughpodcast.com slash hard good. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.